You're listening to Song Stories. I'm Sophia Bromowitz. In the fall of 2019, I taught a writing class at the University of Virginia called American Roots Music. At the end of the semester, I asked my students to pick a song from the 20th century and tell a story about it. Each writer approached their song with different questions. How are the song's musicians influenced by their setting, by their personal lives, or by their collaborators? How do we as listeners feel different responses to different kinds of music? And where do these feelings come from? What did a song mean then, and what does it mean now? You can hear their answers to these questions and more by listening to their podcasts. Today we're going to hear about the song, We Shall Overcome. This episode was written, produced, and performed by Peyton Yager. There's a little song within our breast with words of hope and love. The melody blends as we join hands with faith and God above. Dr. Martin Luther King now tells us of this song. There's a little song that we sing in our movement down in the South. I don't know if you've heard it, but it has become the theme song. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome. As you just heard Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. affirm, We Shall Overcome was the theme song of the Civil Rights Movement. A simple song of hope and determination became an anthem that fueled the fight for equality. Hi, you're listening to Peyton Yager from station NWAR 1510, and today we're going to be talking about or rather, you're going to listen to me gush about music in the civil rights movement for the next 15 minutes. Now, before I get ahead of myself, let's take a look into the history of the song We Shall Overcome. Many believe the origins of the song go all the way back to the days of slavery, in which slaves would sing a similar refrain of I'll be alright someday. According to NPR, Black churches then turned the tune into a gospel hymn, and a minister named Charles Tinley published a version of the song he called I'll Overcome Someday. In 1945, the song had its first political debut, when workers of the American Tobacco Company in Charleston, South Carolina, went on strike against unfair wages. As they marched, they sang together, We will overcome and we will win our rights someday. Next in the song story, we have the music director of Highlander Folk School, a woman named Zilphia Horton. She learned the song from the Strikers and began to teach it in folk music workshops in Tennessee. Horton then introduced the song to folk artist Pete Seeger. And with the help of musician Guy Carowin, who was also from Highlander, Seeger adapted and produced the song as his own, and he called it what we now know as We Shall Overcome. Then, Carolyn and Seeger introduced We Shall Overcome to the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, as well as other civil rights leaders like Dr. King. It wasn't long before the song spread throughout the nation. Civil rights activists sang We Shall Overcome to sustain morale during protest marches, freedom rides, and in jail cells. Soon enough, it was the anthem of the civil rights movement. So, you might be asking yourself, what made We Shall Overcome so well-loved? And I think my first answer would be Pete Seeger himself. There's something in the way that his vocals crack and quiver throughout the whole song, but particularly when he sings the word overcome, that is so raw and so pure. 
I'll let you listen. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. With nothing but his natural voice and the simple strum of his acoustic guitar, Seeger could single-handedly convince an audience of strangers to believe him that everything would be all right someday. If honesty and integrity had a sound, it would be Pete Seeger. It wasn't just Seeger's voice that people loved. There was more to the nature of the song that made it so engaging and so popular, and the answer is in its simplicity. The lyrical form of We Shall Overcome is quite frank and repetitive. The song features an incremental refrain in which each verse begins with something along the lines of we shall or we are, but then it's followed by a different action like walk hand in hand or live in peace. That action is then repeated three times, followed by a longing yet hopeful someday. Let's take a listen. We shall all be free. We shall all be free. We shall all be free. So. As you can tell, the lines are simple and the form is effortless, but this simplicity is what gets the message across without any confusion or complications. That powerful message that together, those who are oppressed will overcome. It's all about unity. If you'll note, the song does not say, I shall overcome. It says, we shall overcome. It wasn't always this way, however. The workers on strike actually changed the lyrics from I to we in order to unify the group, fighting for a common cause. In his essay titled The Rhetorical Invention and Transformation of We Shall Overcome, Troy Murphy refers to the inclusive pronoun as a method of identification, in which he said, solidifies membership within the group and publicly makes known the interest of a contesting collectivity. Sometimes all it takes to gain a sense of courage to stand up for something you believe in is just not to feel alone. A sense of belonging to a group is crucial, and that's exactly what this song did. It said, we will walk hand in hand, and we will move beyond this together. We will move forward together, and that is powerful. Now, I've done a lot of talking about the song We Shall Overcome, but this certainly wasn't the only song of the movement. In fact, there was a whole assortment of songs that people sang throughout the civil rights movement. Some were newly written, and some were adapted from old slave hymns, but they were all largely known as freedom songs. Let's listen to a few of these so-called freedom songs from various voices of the civil rights movement. A Change is Gonna Come by Sam Cooke. A long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes it will. I go to the movie and I go down. Oh, Freedom, sung by the Golden Gospel Singers. Oh, freedom, freedom. Oh, 
This Little Light of Mine, performed by an activist group. As you can tell, they all sound a bit different, but the thing they all have in common is that they express raw emotion and they radiate a sense of strength. Activists sang these songs as a source of strength amidst all the hatred that was being thrown at them. Whites spit in their faces, police kicked them to the ground, and society told them they were nothing more than a water fountain marked by a sign that said, colored. And yet when they linked arms to march, singing a simple tune, Hope for a better tomorrow rang throughout the streets. Singing served as the ultimate form of nonviolent protest, and it worked. Troy Murphy described the slow rhythmic tempo and predictable repeating structure of We Shall Overcome as symbolically representing not intensity, but rather the release or resolution of emotion. I think that's something all freedom songs have in common. They allowed the oppressed to release all negative emotions of anger and frustration in the comfort of those who were experiencing the exact same feelings. Freedom songs are not aggressive. They aren't chants that demand justice and change. Instead, they're rather peaceful and filled with emotion. Singing in collectivity was an opportunity for people to look around and realize that they are not the only ones who feel betrayed. Together, they could release those emotions and replace them with a sense of hope and joy in the prospect of overcoming someday. I read an interesting take on the meaning of freedom songs in a book called When the Spirit Says Sing by Karen L. Sanger. And he essentially argues that freedom songs were so important because they allowed black activists to create a new sense of self, a positive self-definition of what it means to be black in the South. You see, for so long, whites had defined what it meant to be black, and it was nothing short of dehumanizing. But when blacks came together to sing these songs, they had a purpose. They had something of their own. For once, they could claim their identity and be proud of it. I love this quote from Bernice Regan, a black musician and activist, about how she felt while singing freedom songs. She said, When I opened my mouth and began to sing, there was a force and power within myself I had never heard before. Somehow this music that was mine to shape and change so that I made the statement I needed to make released a kind of energy I didn't know I had. Here's how I see it. Singing gave the black community the power to reinvent themselves. Singing lit a fire within them, inciting a burning desire for justice and gave them the courage to fight for it. These songs gave them a new identity, their own identity, that had previously been denied to them. Sanger put it simply when he said, those who had been invisible became undeniably visible when they sang. At a time in which the nation could not feel more divided, music was the one thing that could bring people together. Here's how this worked. Folk music began to make a revival in the 1960s, with white artists at the forefront. Singers like Bob Dylan, Pete Seeger, and Joan Baez wrote and performed protest songs, making themselves allies to black activists in the civil rights movement. This was crucial to gaining support from a larger population of white Americans. 
those who might have previously felt disconnected or uninterested in the movement could find inspiration to join the fight after hearing white artists they admired vocalize their own discontent with the law. The March on Washington is a prime example of this at work. For those that don't know, the March on Washington was a huge civil rights rally that took place in Washington, D.C. in 1963. Before Martin Luther King Jr. gave his iconic I Have a Dream speech, Joan Baez performed We Shall Overcome. thousands of Americans witnessed blacks and whites uniting in the fight for freedom. Pete Yarrow from the folk group called Peter, Paul, and Mary witnessed this powerful moment and said the following, There were a lot of people in America that were fence-sitters, that were dead against it. When they heard the music, something human was touched, and it was undeniable. End quote. As cited by Oliver Urbane. Forgive me if this is far-fetched or something only I've felt, but humor me for a second. Have you ever sang a song with many people and felt chills creep down your arms as the different voices blend together and trigger an overwhelming feeling of emotion, whether it be happy or sad? For me, I felt this when my entire summer camp would hold hands and sing around the campfire, or when my church congregation holds candles and sings Silent Night at the Christmas Eve service. This is what I imagined it was like to witness a crowd of thousands sing at the March on Washington. Emotional overload. How could anyone not feel something human in that moment? Since white folk artists played such a crucial role in uniting the masses and gaining white support, I have to wonder what the black community thought of them. Did they appreciate their alliance or did they find them to be using the movement as an opportunity to further their own career? This is something I haven't been able to find much concrete evidence on, perhaps because it's rooted in the opinions of black Americans that, unfortunately, weren't often inquired. The one opinion I did happen to stumble upon, though, was that of Malcolm X, cited by journalist Stephen Stacks. To put it gently, Malcolm X was not amused by freedom songs. Here's what he said. Black people are fed up with the dilly-dallying, pussyfooting, compromising approach that we've been using towards getting our freedom. We want freedom now, and we're not going to get it singing We Shall Overcome. Malcolm X spoke for those black Americans who sought immediate change and did not believe they could achieve it through nonviolent means of protesting, and that included singing. However, as long as Dr. King lived, this opinion remained quite unpopular. Voices singing anthems of joy and sorrow, hope and desperation, ultimately prevailed. In the words of author Oliver Urbane, The power of music gave strength to the cowardly, hope to the hopeless, and healing to the sick. When nothing else worked, there was always a song to be sung to lift people's spirits. Together, they sang. And together, they overcame. We shall Thanks for listening to Song Stories. Song Stories is a member of the Virginia Audio Collective. Listen to the whole series and learn more at virginiaaudio.org.